The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 138. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. Amen. Father in heaven, we rejoice to be gathered as your people today to give praise and honor and glory to you, the only God, the one who is seated high above all the heavens, who rules over all of your creation, and you do so by your strength and your power and wisdom. Lord, we are grateful to be here today in your house, to be with your people, to praise you, and it is our desire today that we would join our hearts together that we would praise the name of our Savior and lift Him up, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified in all that we do and say today. May You cast out of our minds anything that would cause us to be distracted from that. And may everything that we do and say, even the things that we think in our minds, be glorifying to You. And Lord, we pray now as You taught Your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. It's in the hymnal on page 845. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Psalms, chapter 138, beginning in verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, yet He regards the lowly, but the proud He knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, You will revive me. You will stretch out Your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and Your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Amen. Let's continue to worship now singing in the hymnal number 87, The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want.
you may be seated and the children can come forward for the children's sermon at this time. Good to see you. Can anybody say what we have been discussing on Sunday mornings together? Does anybody remember the name of it? The Apostles' Creed. Creed, That's exactly right. And today we're at the middle part of the second big paragraph. Do you remember who we've been talking about? We've been talking about Jesus. That's a safe answer, isn't it? (laughs) Sunday mornings, who we've been talking about? Well, we have been talking about Jesus. And this morning I wanted to talk to you about the next line... And you need to need to listen, okay? Because this is this is a significant thing. It's important. The line says that Jesus was he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And I want to ask you if any of you know in your Bibles, does anybody remember the the books called the Gospels? Does anybody remember what those books are? Can anybody name any of the Gospels? Danny, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there are three of them that are very similar. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one-third of those books is taken up with Jesus' last week of life. And in the book of John, half of it is. So it's significant. This part of the Apostles' Creed that we're talking about, that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, that He was crucified, that He actually died, and that He he was buried is significant. And why do you suppose it is that we make that statement every Sunday? Just a guess. What do you, what do you guys think? Why do we why do we say that every Sunday? Because it's a tradition. Because it's a tradition. It absolutely is. Because we believe in Jesus. That's right. Those two things are significant. It's a tradition. It's what has been handed down to us from church families before us, and it's also true that we believe in Jesus. But did you notice in the Gospels, and I read this this week, this is significant not just for the children, but for all of us. You know, when I think about Jesus being betrayed, I always think of Judas. But it says that the chief priests and the scribes in the book of Matthew took Jesus and handed him over to Pontius Pilate. Not only was he betrayed by one of his close friends, he was betrayed by the religious establishment of his day. Those who were to honor sacred life in Israel. They handed him over to the Romans, to Pontius Pilate. And he suffered in Pontius Pilate's court. He did get beaten and brutally bruised. He had a crown of thorns crushed on his head. And the Bible says that people who knew him didn't even recognize him when they were done. And it's interesting because we don't talk a lot about death a lot. We don't really talk about the particulars about how someone died, except maybe to say they uh, were hurt in an accident or maybe something took place on the road in a car accident. But in the Bible, we have taken painstaking time to talk about Jesus suffering for us. The Bible says that Jesus suffered for you and for me. And one of the main reasons that it does that is to remind us, each one of us, and especially you, our covenant children, that the Lord Jesus suffered for our sins. That He did die. He was buried in a grave. And He did that knowing the cost of what it meant that you and I would be forgiven. So I want to pray for you this morning that the Lord would keep that in your heart. And especially next Sunday as we recite the Apostles' Creed together, that you would remember Jesus loves you. And He loves you enough to die on the cross and suffer that your sins might be forgiven. And to resurrect out of the grave so that you would belong with Him forever. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank You that You hear us when we pray. I thank You, Lord, for our covenant children. That You call them Your sons and daughters. And Lord, I pray that you would help them even today and this week to remember the Lord Jesus and His great love and sacrifice for them. That He did willingly undergo all of the the cruelty and the punishment that was due our sins on our behalf, on their behalf. And Lord, I pray as they pray together with their family, as they pray on their own, that they would praise the name of the Lord Jesus, that He did those things for us, and that You are satisfied and You give us His righteousness as we believe by faith. Lord, I thank You and praise You for our covenant children. I pray that You would protect them and love them. And Lord, help us as we teach them Your ways 
that we would do so in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading Psalm 80. It's on page 813 in your hymnal. Page 813, Psalm 80. I'll begin with the light portion. Please uh, respond out loud together with the bold. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Awaken your might, come and save us. O Lord God Almighty, how long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have made us a source of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. You brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire at your rebuke. Your people perish. Then on the next page, then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Amen. Let's stand together as we continue to worship, singing hymn number 134, God Will Take Care of You.
may be seated. Just before our pastoral prayer time, I wanted to just point out something that's already been announced. Um, As we get set in just a little over a week to start Vacation Bible School, I wanted to take a moment to, to pray during our pastoral prayer time for the volunteers and workers and for our children this week and next week that the Lord would pour out His Spirit on our church, that those who are working would be filled with His Spirit to do the work that God has given them, whether it's playing games or doing skits or doing things in the kitchen or helping children or carrying babies, that the Lord would fill us with His Spirit to do Vacation Bible School, that we would be a part of His work of planting seeds in children and in families, that the Gospel would be heard and that we would be excited to see how the Lord works in their life. Vacation Bible School is a highlight, I know, for many of you. And for many of you, you remember Vacation Bible School as a child. And I wanted to pray this morning specifically uh, that the Lord would be in and among us, that He would protect us, and mostly that everyone who comes would sense the Spirit of the Lord Jesus on His people here at Lebanon. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for the joy and the privilege that it is to come before Your throne. It is a joy because You call us to pray. You tell us to come and to cast our burdens on You. And Lord, we come to do that now as Your people, corporately together in worship. Lord, it is an an honor and a privilege to get to pray for one another, to lift up requests that we hear and know, and to be burdened in our hearts and ache for what is going on in the lives of other believers. Lord, what a privilege it is to bear one another's burdens, as Your Word says. Lord, as we think about Vacation Bible School in the coming weeks, just two weeks from now, Lord, I pray that You would be with us, that You would fill every worker, every volunteer, every child who comes, and every family, that they would hear the Gospel, that they would believe the things that they're reading. As they go through lessons, Lord, I pray that You would fill their minds. They're not just reading words on a page as they read the Scriptures. They're reading the Word of God. And Lord, I pray that the Gospel would go forth as we know that it will, that You would use it mightily, that even among our own children, they would make profession of faith in You. And Lord, that the seed of the Gospel would be planted, and that by Your grace we would water seeds that You have previously planted, that You would use all of this to build Your kingdom. I pray for our covenant children here, and I pray for other children who are not part of our church family that will be here. Lord, that You would order the steps of their family's life, that they could be here each morning and be with us and participate. And Lord, I pray that You would use the Gospel in their homes as well. Lord, I pray that You would keep us all healthy and strong and safe, that we would be free from injury or worry or sickness. And Lord, we thank You and praise You that we get to do Vacation Bible School again. And may we do it for Your glory. Lord, I do pray for Your work around the world. I pray for the dyes as they serve You as they seek to live out the gospel as missionaries that we support here at Lebanon. And Lord, I pray that You would so fill them with Your Spirit, that You would use the overflow of Your grace in their lives to touch others that they come into contact with, that You would bless them in their contacts with others in foster care, that You would use their testimony of Your goodness to impact other families. And Lord, we pray that You would use them in everything that they do and say to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Lord, I do pray for those in our midst who are suffering under a weight of affliction, those who grieve and those who are struggling physically in their health, those who struggle mentally and emotionally, and those who just have a strong sense of needing Your presence and power in their life. Lord, I pray for our church family. You know each of our needs. You know requests that we don't even mention, things that we don't breathe to other people. You know our thoughts and our needs. And we pray, Lord that You would use all of the means that You have to meet our needs. But most of all, Lord, we pray that we would have a sense of Your power and presence in our lives. You don't promise that You will take away our difficulties, but You promise to carry us through them. And we pray that we would see that mightily, even in our day. And all of these things, Lord, we pray and ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Ruth, chapter 2. Ruth, chapter 2, our scripture reading this morning begins in verse 5, and we will read down through verse 18 together. The sermon is entitled, Under the Wings 
of the Almighty. Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little while in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repaid your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here, and eat of the bread, and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied, and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back, after she had been satisfied. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. In the opening scene of chapter 2, you remember from last week, Ruth had determined with her mother-in-law Naomi's approval that she would go out into the fields and glean. It was the time of the barley harvest. It's what people were doing. And you remember her mother-in-law is recorded to have given the very lengthy response, Go, my daughter. Just three words. There are some imposing clouds of uncertainty as we read that passage last week that loomed over Ruth. Will anyone in the fields, take notice of her? Will anyone let her come in their field and simply do the menial work of gleaning? Taking the last bits of pieces of grain that others may have dropped. Will she find any food for she and Naomi? And what about all the personal risks that she's taking as a foreigner, as a woman, going out into the field, not belonging to anyone, not having a home or a name or a husband or anything else? What is going to happen to her? As we consider the story's progression from chapter 1 to chapter 2 where we're reading today, it's significant that after in chapter 1, Ruth made such an amazing statement of her commitment to Naomi that we hear no words from Naomi. She is silent up until she said, Go, my daughter, at the beginning of chapter 2. We wonder, is God answering Ruth's prayer? To go under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. Is God answering Naomi's prayer that Ruth would be blessed? That He would bless her for honoring the dead and for honoring Naomi? Has God accepted Ruth? Is she part of true Israel? Though she is a Moabite. And though thin, the clouds seem to be letting through a few rays of light. We know from our vantage point, she doesn't yet until today's passage, that she's in the field of Boaz, who we know just happens to be, as we said last week, a relative of Naomi because of Elimelech, Naomi's husband. He is a relative, and we know that he's a godly man, 
A man who loves the Lord, who has character, who's a man of means and of influence and responsibility. And we will see God work through him in ways that are amazing. But Boaz is not the highlight of this story. And I hope that you see it. I hope that you see Boaz is not the answer to Ruth or to Naomi's problems. There is someone who is answering their prayers, and it is the Lord Jesus Himself. He is their Savior. He is the Redeemer. I titled this series, Searching for a Redeemer. And it's not Boaz who answers the prayer. It is the Lord God Himself. And I hope that you can see, even in this passage today, that God delights in the reversal of everything that might seem conventional or expected, what you might think. He pours out grace where He chooses. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He does so at His delight for His own glory. And there may be times when it seems, that's not the right person to do this for. And yet God chooses and His choice is never wrong. And that's true of your own life. If God has poured out grace on you, it is not a mistake. If He called you to Himself, it is because He chose to in His infinite wisdom. And if you hear the call of the gospel today, and today for the first time feel in your heart God's Spirit moving in you, I want to belong to Him. Don't quiet that voice in your heart. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. As we look at this passage of Scripture, I want to do so under three headings this morning. First, hear the foreman's report in verses 5 through 7. The second... Gaze upon covenant blessings in verses 8 through 10 and 14 through 18. And lastly, the question you must answer today. So, first, hear the foreman's report in verses 5 through 7. Boaz asks a simple question. He's a man who's an owner, he owns fields. And he's coming to his second in command, who's responsible for all of the reapers. And he says, Whose woman is this? He doesn't say, Who is it? Or, What is she doing here? Whose woman is this? Who does she belong to? Who is her owner if she's a a slave worker? Whose worker is her if she's hired herself out? What family does she belong to? And notice that the foreman doesn't even mention her name. He says, the Moabite woman. Almost as if, you know, it's not like there's a bunch of them on hand here in town, Boaz. That Moabite woman that Naomi brought back from Moab. He doesn't really answer the question. He highlights she's a foreigner. It just keeps coming up in the first two chapters. We're to remember Ruth is a Moabite, not an Israelite, at least by birth. She's not part of the covenant family of God by birth. She doesn't have believing parents that we know of. He highlights she's a foreigner. Again, she has no owner. She has no husband and no family. She's not of prominence in any way at all. But he, in giving his report, also says that she gave a humble request as she came to the field. And I do want to point out what we read last week. When she spoke to her mother-in-law, she said, I'm going to go out into the fields today, if it's all right with you, Mom. And I'm going to glean in whoever's field under whom I find favor. If I find favor, I'll do some work, she says. And so she makes good on her commitment to her mother-in-law. She goes into the field and she asks the foreman, Please let me glean after the reapers in verse 7. She doesn't demand it. She doesn't say, here, I'm here for my portion. Just point me in the right direction. I'll go and be gone. She doesn't believe she's owed it. She comes in humility. And she says, even though there might be a law of your people, according to Deuteronomy chapter 24, where I, as a poor person, as a foreigner, should be able to go and get this food, I'm not coming expecting my rights I'm coming humbly asking that you would give me the permission to just take a little bit for me and for my mother-in-law. Would you allow me to come and do that? She's asking to come behind the reapers. And it's important to understand logistics here. Boaz is the owner. He has the foreman who's one of his workers, could have been his personal assistant. Then there are the people who have hired themselves out to Boaz who are his reapers. They're working in his fields. They're allowed to go among the sheaves of grain. Then there are the people that God made a a provision for in the law, the the gleaners. So these are not people who have been hired out. These are people, a special group of people, poor folks, fatherless widows, who were allowed to go to the corners and edges of the field. And they were allowed to take what had been left there. And then after everyone was gone and all of the grain had been taken for the owner, they were allowed to go in the rows and take any grain that may have been dropped 
and mistakenly not put on the cart to go and be kept. What she's asking to do is to come back and take whatever is left over or discarded. Maybe like when you get the corn out of your corn this year. And maybe you find a few heads that have worms in it. It's not really worth even keeping. I'll just throw it here. She was coming to take what was left over of everybody else. Much like we said last week, someone who would collect aluminum cans that we would carelessly leave on the road. She's willing to take that. You might think, well, she's a foreigner. There are people of Israel who who are poor, who deserve to go and get that grain. Why is she going out into the field? You remember a, a conversation that Jesus had with a woman from the land of Canaan. She said, Lord, would you please come and help my family? My child is sick and dying. And he says that we ought not cast the pearls of the nation of Israel before the dogs. The food on the table is not for the dogs. And she makes a statement that Jesus wonders at in Matthew 15, 26. She says, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall off the master's table. Ruth is there for the crumbs. I'm not looking for a four-course meal. I just want something so that mom and I can eat. That I can be faithful to this dear woman who I love and provide for us. The next thing that the foreman says about Ruth, without naming her, is that she is a diligent worker. It's the foreman's job to report to the owner how people are doing. He's hired out reapers, of course, so he wants to know, am I getting what I'm paying back in their hard work? So you would expect that this man would notice if people are working or not, if their work quality is up to snuff. And he says she's been working all day. She took a little bit of a break in the shelter, but she's been out there all morning, Boaz. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. It takes no name, no place of privilege. It takes no prestige at all to be humble before the Lord and to be a hard worker. I think this is something good and important for our young people to hear. As you think about getting a job or maybe you have a job, and there might be times when the boss is not there and where your tendency would be, man, I'd, I'd really like to sit. I'd really like to just slough off a little bit. He won't know or she won't know. But it is your honor and your integrity before the Lord that matters. Not what that owner or that foreman sees. Be a hard worker. It takes nothing to do that. Value what you are giving. Someone gave you a job and they're paying you for it. Honor the Lord by working hard. Your your name goes before you. The name of the Lord goes before you. And I promise He will provide a place for you. Even if it's not the job that you love and enjoy, He will provide a place for you if you are honorable and have integrity before Him, even in little things now. Point number two. Gaze upon the covenant blessings of God in verses 8-10 through and 14-18. through You remember Ruth came that day and asked a question of the foreman. And the foreman doesn't answer But Boaz does. He gives her a very straightforward answer to her request. We don't know if the foreman couldn't answer it or he wouldn't. Maybe he didn't want to talk to a foreigner. Maybe he didn't want to be seen associating with her. Or maybe giving some of the grain that Israel's people should have had to this Moabite woman. But either way, he didn't answer her request. She's been working, but she still needs Boaz's approval. And listen to the words that he says to her. He gives her at least four things in verses 8-9. through He gives her a place. He says, don't leave my field. Don't even look anywhere else. Keep your eyes where my workers are and stay with them. He gives her a position. He says, stay with my young women. Work with them. He gives her protection. I've commanded the young men not to touch you. Because there were young men who were employed in the field and it was their job to keep vagrants out. People who would come in and steal after the reapers came in and did all the work of stacking the grain, there would be people who wanted to go between the rows and steal things, who hadn't worked at all. They just wanted to to basically coast along and come in at the very last and reap the benefits. So their job was to keep people away. And he's telling them, don't do that with her. I'm letting her in. It's my field. And I'm doing what I would like to with it. And he gives her provision too. He says, drink from the vessels in verse 9. And this is an interesting reversal in this story and in the Gospel because typically the foreigners would draw the water for the Israelites. But Boaz clearly says that his young men were the ones who drew the water. And here is Ruth getting ready to drink from what they have drawn. What a beautiful picture of the grace of the Gospel. Do you believe you don't 
fit in in the church. I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't have the grace of God in my life. But He put you there. He called you to Himself. He put His name on you. Called you a son or daughter of His. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't call people by accident. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is because He did it by His Spirit. It's His choice. Secondly, gaze upon the covenant blessings of God in Ruth's life. Look at Ruth's humble response in verse 10. And this is something that should, in some ways, break our own hearts. It says that she fell on her face and bowed to the ground. Very likely she hit her knees. And she put her forehead so far down that it touched the dirt. And she's been out working, so she's sweating. And it's coming off of her hair, and it's touching her forehead. And now she's got dirt on her head. And she's looking at, up at him and saying, Why? Why? Why are you pouring out this grace on me? Why are you favoring me? It wasn't dramatic effect. She was absolutely astonished at Boaz's grace and God's grace in her life. And isn't it interesting that most of the time what astonishes us today or people in our society today is not how well they're treated, but by sometimes how they're slighted. We're astonished. I deserve to be treated well. I deserve the best. Can you imagine if she had shown up to the foreman with a big, a big five-gallon bucket and said, okay, fill it up. And then I'll be on my way. She went humbly and said, let me have the leftovers. When she prostrated herself on the ground, she's in a vulnerable position. She expressed both the true social distance between she and Boaz, but she also expressed sincere, heartfelt gratitude. She knows, I don't deserve this. This is grace. And I can't explain why you're doing it. And remember, she doesn't even really know who he is yet. She might know his name, but she has no idea the family connection. Proud people don't say thanks. Proud people take what they expect is due to them. And they walk away with their rights. But humble people, when they receive grace, are more humble. It just was a continual, ever-flowing spring in her heart. And as she received grace, she was more humbled by it. Jack Miller says, Wherever there is the humility of faith, the fountain of God's love is constantly rediscovered. And the thirsty unsaved are drawn to Christ as they see our hearts satisfied and overflowing with grace. Is that part of your testimony, dear believer? That the Lord Jesus has been so faithful in your life that it overflows in how you communicate with other people. It is so easy to complain about what we don't have. Or how what we have is not working the way that we thought it would. Or if I only had something else, I know my life would be fulfilled. Things would work out. Everything would be fine. But because I don't have it or I don't like what I have, I am disenfranchised with life. And what we communicate, even not knowing it, we communicate to the world around us that the God who says He will provide for His people actually isn't making good on that promise for us. Be careful how you communicate and what you say to folks about what you have or don't have. Here she responds in humility. And what's interesting is that it wasn't the grace of God in her life to pull her out of the circumstance she was in. The grace of God was in her life to keep her in that humble, lowly place where she would stay, not depending on herself, not full of pride, not in her own ingenuity. She would stay under God's care. And I believe that's how God's grace works in your life and mine too. God's grace is not ultimately to take you out of the situation you're in. It's to keep you in the midst of it and provide for you. That's God's grace. She asked, why have I found favor in your sight? In verse 10, And I mentioned last week that this word favor in chapter 2 is significant because she said to Naomi in verse 2, I'm going to go out and glean in whoever's field I find favor. And here she is asking, why have I found favor in your sight? It's It's a clear connection between these two verses. What she was praying for, God had answered through Boaz providing for her. Have you seen God answer prayer in your life, dear church? Have you seen it happen and wondered at it? That God who sits on His throne answers my prayer. It should humble you. It should should bring tears in your eyes and a frog in your throat. It should cause you to fall on your knees before your Heavenly Father. I don't deserve anything. And He's full of grace. Praise the Lord. She says, I found the one who would give me favor and He has exceeded all of my expectations. Why, Boaz, did you give me more than a passing glance? 
Why did you single me out? Yes, I look like a foreigner, but why did you take notice of me? And then she says in verse 10, since I am a foreigner. She's not part of God's people's family. She's got lower status and lower rights than a resident alien. She should enjoy no covenant privileges or protections, and contact usually was avoided with this kind of people. But God is doing something amazing and beautiful in her life. Look at the other blessings that God pours out through Boaz at mealtime in verses 14 to 18. He gives her a seat at Boaz's table along with the reapers. She's sitting at the table with the hired help eating from their food. And it says that she ate and was satisfied and had so much. He was so generous in passing grain to her that she had some left over. And that's what she gave to Naomi when she got home later that night. And it says that after she got up, maybe she didn't want to just sit around and wait for his invitation to go back into the field. She got up and went. And as she was getting up to leave in verses 15 to 16, he says to the men, not to the foreman, to the men, the ones who are going out in the field, so there's no misunderstanding. I don't want anything broken up in translation. I'm telling you directly, do not bother her. Let her go even among the sheaves where the gleaners are not supposed to go. Do not reproach her. Don't say anything to her. Don't physically try to stop her. Let her go. This is my command. I'm the owner. This was where the reapers worked. The gleaners weren't supposed to be there. And listen to what he says in verse 16. Intentional inefficiency. Can you imagine this? If you're responsible for workers in your company or in your business, you have people that work under you. He is telling them on purpose, be intentionally inefficient. I want you to pull out what you've gathered and leave it for her. And don't go back and get it. Leave it there for her. Let her glean even from among what you drop from the bundles and don't rebuke her. He's told them twice, don't say anything to her. Don't scold her. Don't call her the Moabite or the stealer or anything else. I'm letting her hear. It's my choice. It's my field. He's being intentionally inefficient. So the, the report from the foreman. We've gazed at the beauty of God's blessings in her life. And lastly, a question that you and I have to answer. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a question you have to answer. If you say you belong to Him, you have to answer this question. She asks it in verse 10. Why have I found favor in your sight? Why have you looked at me? This is a significant question for you and I today. And really for our whole life, we must answer it. The answer should determine the way that you and I live every day. How we relate to God and one another in God's church. This cannot be secondary. There might be other things that can be, but this can't be secondary. Why have I found favor in your sight? This is a question not only about Boaz, but about God. Ultimately, God is the one pouring out these blessings. Either God is a debtor to Ruth, paying back the value of what she has earned, or He's a benefactor, graciously giving His blessings according to His own will, by His own power. Did Ruth put God in her debt when she left her parents, left her gods, and the land that she had known for her whole life, did, he put, did she put God in debt when she left the land of Moab to love and serve Naomi? Or to make it a more personal thing, did you put God in your debt when you chose to believe in Him? When you chose to walk after Him, to serve the church, to love other people? Is God in your debt? Does He owe you something? The answer is no, according to the Scriptures. She did those things because she saw in the God of Israel a value, a protection, a refuge, and a joy far superior to anything that was back in Moab with her parents. In verse 12 it says that she went to the Lord, the God of Israel, to be under His wings and to be there as a refuge. She was saying, no, I don't have anything to bring to you. If you remember the the hymn we sing, Rock of Ages, Naked I come to You for dress. Humbly come to You for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. She's saying, I have nothing to bring to You, Jehovah God of Israel. And there is no reason why You should pour out Your grace on me, but I am coming to hover under Your wings just as Your people do. Would You shelter me? Would You provide for me? She wasn't saying God owed her anything. If you come to God, and I'm quoting John Piper, if you come to God pleading His value 
as the satisfaction and source for your need of hope and joy, rather than pleading your own value to satisfy His need, then God's unwavering commitment to His own value and glory and name, which according to the Scripture is His highest priority, will engage all of His heart on your behalf because you have said His value is what you need. Boaz did not put himself even at the center of this story. This was a chance for him to put himself out to this beautiful Moabite woman. I'm blessing you because I have a desire for you. I'm blessing you because you're a beautiful woman. Or I'm hoping to get some advantage in the community. He saw himself as a channel of blessing through which Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God, was blessing and welcoming Ruth into the family of God. And all of the things that we looked at, the work that He gave her, the meal that He gave her, the food, the protection, the harvest, all of those were God's blessings. He didn't say, I'm repaying you. He said, the Lord repay you. Let Him reward you for how you have loved and served Naomi. What about you? Do you, does how you live demonstrate that you believe God is looking for employees in the church or shelterers? How will you answer the question on Judgment Day? And we will all have to answer this question on Judgment Day. Why, God says, should I bless you and let you into my heavenly glories? What will be your answer? If it is because I did something, or because I did something so many years, or I put up with difficulty, or I tried to be faithful, those answers are not good enough. The only answer that counts is, because I saw in you the beauty and glory of God Almighty, and I came under your wings for refuge and shelter. And that's the only answer. The way Alistair Begg said it is, when you get to the, to the gates of the throne room of heaven, and you are asked, why should we let you in? He said, because the man on the middle cross said I could come is the answer from the thief who believed in Jesus. That's the only reason we get to go. It's not because of anything that we do, not anything in us. And if you can't earn a place in it, you can't earn a place out of it. Once Jesus has gripped you by His grace, you are in His hand, and those who shelter under His wings stay there. It is a blessing and a privilege to belong to the living God. What you believe about this question that we've been talking about. Why did you have favor on me? What you believe about this now impacts how you will respond on Judgment Day. And it impacts how you will live your life. Your Christian service. Your desire to love other people. Is your answer going to be, I have run to you, Almighty Heavenly Father, because you are the all-sufficient one for whom I trust for protection and provision. And remember Jesus' strong words in Matthew chapter 23. He talked about the nation of Israel, a people who seemed to not want to follow Ruth's example. He said in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. All the Pharisees had to do In this chapter, he had been talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and warning the people, don't follow after them. All they had to do was take refuge under the wings of the Lord Jesus. Stop trying to justify yourself. Don't rely on yourself. Don't glorify yourself. But they wouldn't. They couldn't. Ruth was not their model. No falling on their faces before God. No bowing down in His presence. No astonishment at His grace. We deserve it. We're good people after all. We're good Christian people. Are you coming to shelter under the wings of the Almighty every day? Or are you hoping that somehow you can take a value to God that He will accept you into heaven? Come and shelter under His wings and see all the blessings that He pours out on those whom He loves. Let us pray. Father, I thank You and I praise You for the love that You have shed abroad in our hearts through the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank You, Lord, that You have called us to Yourself by Your Spirit and that You have put the gift of faith in us. All that You require of us, You have accomplished for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that You would help us, each of us, to think about this question. Why do we have favor from God? And help us to deal honestly with You in the Word about it. It is because of your grace and your mercy in truth. Lord, we thank you and praise you. 
that You have called us to Yourself. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in the room today that doesn't know You, that hasn't made profession of faith, that You would work in their heart, that they would be obedient to Your Spirit, that they would cry out to You and fall on their face before You and cry out for grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 84 under the care of my God the Almighty. take an offering to the glory of God.
Thank you, Callie. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for all of the blessings that You have richly poured out of Your abundance of grace to us. It is Your goodness that satisfies our hearts. And You have given to us everything that we ask and beyond it out of the storehouses of Your grace. And we thank You and praise You for it. Lord, we pray out of thankfulness that You would continue to give us a heart and a spirit that would desire to see and to enjoy the blessing that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Help us to continue to be thankful and would you continue to meet our needs and would you use these our tithes and offerings for the sake of the spread of your glory and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in South Carolina, the United States and all of the world. In Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen. Receive the benediction of our Lord. May the Lord hide you in His shelter in the day of trouble, conceal you under the cover of His tent, and may He set you high upon a rock. Amen.